Jude, the book of Jude, and today I want to preach a message entitled, The Life of a Christian, Simply the Life of a Christian. In Jude, verses 20 and 25, we're going to read down through those verses of Scripture, and Jude gives us some very, very important things to think about today, and I want us to all just consider what it is that we need to do and how we need to live as believers. Jude 20 through 25. The Bible says this, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. The life of the believer involves three particular motivations. I know that I don't know if there's anybody in here familiar with acting. Anybody familiar with acting a little bit? Anybody? Done any, any? All right, a little bit in high school here and there, right? You know, I don't know if it's just the way Hollywood has developed the thing, but any particular movie or show that is about acting, there is a phrase that is often presented, and that phrase is, well, for this character that they're going to play, what's my motivation? Well, many of you know what your motivation is when it comes to your jobs, right? It's called your paycheck. It's when the boss hands you the paycheck, whoever it is, hands you the paycheck. That is your motivation. You go to your job. You try to do the best job you can because you need that income. You need that money coming in. That's your motivation. Our motivation for a variety of things in life can be seen if we really look within and we find out. But the Bible shows us here that we have really three particular motivations, three things that ought to move us as believers. Many times people come to Christ because they think that Jesus is that one who's going to just sort of get them out of all the trouble, you know? And then they find that when they begin to follow Jesus Christ, all kinds of trouble begins to follow them. All kinds of trouble begins to come along the way and they wonder what in the world's going on. I came to Jesus so he could get me out of trouble. You see, your motivation is misplaced. The Bible says, and Jesus said, in this life you're going to have afflictions, you're going to have troubles. So in other words, Jesus said, your Christianity does not exempt you from the trouble that you might be faced with. So it can't be that you come to Jesus to get out of your trouble. But as a believer, when you come to Christ, what keeps you there? What is it 
that we ought to be doing? What, what direction should we be taking in our Christian lives? And Jude points out three vital and important directions that all of us need to be going. Three important motivations, things that move us as believers. And the first one is this. As a Christian, I must be growing. I got to be growing. If you can honestly look at your life and look back in your life and say that somewhere along the way I ceased to grow, that it could just be that as a believer something has gotten in to your life that shouldn't be there and has stunted your growth. Now we all know, for the most part, most of us have stopped growing, those who are adults. There are some teenagers still in the room who still seem to think, yeah, they're still growing. And, and, you know, at some point, though, you will stop. That's the normal way of the life in the body. But when it comes to your Christianity and your faith in Christ, brothers and sisters, we have got to continue to grow. We have got to keep growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Him. Listen to what Jude says. Verses 20 and 21, the Bible says, let me read that again. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Interestingly, Jude declares that, that much of your growing as a Christian depends on you. Say, so, wait a minute, am I earning my You're not earning your salvation. And, and obviously we know that the Holy Spirit is going to help us to grow and aid us in this. But listen to what he says. He says, build yourselves up. And then he says, keep yourselves. For a lot of times and many occasions in our lives, we find that we are dependent upon other people to build us up. Yeah, how many of you, I'm just curious. How many of you have ever come to church saying, I really hope that somebody can encourage me today? Somebody else. Come on. Come on. Stop lying. We're in the house of God. I want somebody to encourage me today. All right. Come on. So have I. I have to, my hand was raised, not because I want you to do it, but because I'm, I'm saying yes. I've done that. Oh, Lord, just I need a word from somebody today. But you know, in Scripture, you find from place to place, from time to time, you find that there isn't anybody around to do it. There isn't anybody around to be able to encourage you. Remember David? When David came back from, from being out with his, his band of, of warriors and they had been out on some kind of, of, of conquest, some kind of battle that they were fighting... And they had left all the women and children of the city of Ziklag. And they got back to Ziklag and they found that all of the women and children, their wives and their children, had been taken. And they found the city that they left them in burned. And all of the men, the Bible says, the 600 men that were with David, were going. they wanted to kill David. All of them. Every last man that was with David. You know what the Bible says David did? He didn't say, no, I really need some encouragement in this, guys. Look around to them and say, you know, come on, fellas. You know, I'm in this too. 
The Bible says this, that he went off by himself. And the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there are times in our lives where it requires you and I to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. You cannot depend on other people all of the time. Because in the end, we have got to go to the Word of God and go to God Himself and say, Lord, I'm going to build myself up in You. We've got to be growing. So what is our part of the growth process? Well, that's part of it. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up. Well, how are we going to do this? The answer is found right there in that sentence in the Scripture. In your most holy faith. Part of the growth process is learning what we believe and why. We spent all last year, one one message a month, basically, going through 12 vital and important doctrines of the faith. What it is that we believe and why we believe it. And we dealt with that not so that you could say, all right, I got the system of beliefs right up here in my head. No, no, no. It's so that you get it down in your heart so that when the enemy comes along and begins to try to shake your faith and begins to question what is in the Word of God, you've got something that you can go back to and you can base your life on and say, but it is written. The Word of God says, and this is what I believe and this is why. You've got to go to the Word of God on a continual basis and read the Bible, folks, on your own time. Don't let the Word of God be something that accompanies you just to church. And for those of you who didn't even think to bring your Bibles, and I'm not going to point out who you might be by you raising your hand, shame on you for leaving it home. Oh, I got a loud nothing on that one. You can say amen to that. Don't leave your Bibles at home. Bring it to church. Bring it to, you need it. You need the Word of God. But more than that, more than bringing it to church so you can follow along in the Scripture, pick it up on a daily basis and begin to read it. If you don't know what to do, you say, I don't know how to read the Bible. I, I don't know quite what to do. You know what? They make very inexpensive what's called, and this has been a, I've been a fan of it since it came out. It's called the one-year Bible, where you can take time and read through the Bible once a year. And you can get in there, and it's a passage from the Old Testament, a passage from the New Testament, a passage from, from the Psalms and the Proverbs, something to fill your spirit from all parts of the Bible. And when you're done reading that from cover to cover, you will have read through it in one year. You say, I'm not sure I can do it all in one year. That's a lot of reading. And, and I'm with you on that. I, I know how it is. I'm not the fastest reader in the world, but i got to tell you, that it encourages us and challenges us to do something on a regular and a continual basis. Something that is consistent, it is going to help you to build yourself up in your most holy faith. Brothers and sisters, it is so vital in the day that we're living in that we are growing as believers. And the only way for us to grow is to begin to get the word of God down in our spirits and in our hearts. There's another way that we can do that. We can attend church. Say, come on, this is really attend church? Yes, absolutely right. Uh, For you know, say, Pastor, you're preaching to the choir today. We're all here. Look at us. You you know, we're we're individuals. You're, we're, We're you're attending church. We're here. But how many of you thought this morning as you rolled over in bed and said, 
man, I'm feeling a little achy, feeling a little tired, a little trouble in my life, difficulties and problems. You know, I think I ought to just stay home. I think today I'd just take some time and rest. Because that's really what I need. I need rest. I'm not asking for a show of hands. But deep down on the inside, how many of you said that to yourself? I'll show my hand. I said it. No, I didn't. But I woke up feeling a little achy and a little tired because my girls made me run yesterday at the park in the hot sun, and I, I'm tired now. But you know what? In the end, there are times where we, we are tempted to just stay away. Let me stay away from the body. Now, let me stay away from church because, you know, maybe I'm going through something. I don't want anybody to know about what I'm dealing with and going through, and I, I don't want everybody to know my business. And if I go there, I have a hard time, you know, hiding my emotions and my feelings and all of that. So, you know, everybody's going to know what I'm going through. Nobody's going to know what you're going through. Get into the house of the Lord. Get into the presence of the Lord so the Spirit of God can come down and minister to your need and help you in the trouble that you're faced with. And maybe you'll walk out just a little bit lighter than what you walked in because the load will have been lifted. Listen, brothers and sisters, we need the place of God with the people of God so we can grow in God. Don't, don't let anything keep you whole. Don't let anybody say, you know, you just you take some time off from church. I don't find that in Scripture. You read in the book of Hebrews, it tells us don't, don't forsake the gathering of, uh, together of the saints as some are in the custom of doing. Don't, don't allow the enemy to keep you away just because you, you've been, you know, you're going through struggles or you've got difficulties or maybe because you don't feel like it or you work too hard or you did this or you did that. Brothers and sisters, I grew up in a part of the country where for the majority of my lifetime, there were people around me who were farmers. They worked hard all day long. They were potato farmers. And they lived, lived and breathed going out into the field from early sunrise, early in the morning, all the way through in the afternoon. You know what I would see? I would see these potato farmers walk in on a Wednesday night midweek service. And these were the men and women who were faithful. They would walk into the service. They would walk into the church. And you knew they were dead tired. You knew that they had worked hard all day long long but they didn't let anything keep them from the house of the Lord because they knew that that added to their growth to be with the saints let me move on you got to feed your spirit with those things that promote spiritual growth we've already talked about the Bible and with the Bible comes prayer we know that the prayer and the word go to hand in hand together but you got to feed yourself with things that promote spiritual growth Maybe it's the music you listen to. Maybe it's the kind of stuff you're putting into your spirit. You know, I, you know, I realize that many of us come from a variety of cultures. Look around in the church. I think this is just a little, just a, a tiny, small microcosm of what heaven is going to look like and ought to be like. When you look around, we, we have people from all over the world in this church, this little church right here, people from a variety of countries, a variety of traditions, a variety of cultures. And yet the one thing that we all have in common is we, we know that we, we've come to the cross of Christ. That we needed Jesus Christ. That when we heard the gospel, we needed him. And yet for many ways, you know, you, you might have a particular style of music that you like to listen to. But, you know, maybe for somebody else in the church, they look at that and say, I don't like that so much. And yet you know that the words and the message that are coming through that music 
feed your spirit and feed your soul with good godly things, then I say, go ahead, listen. Get it into your spirit. But you know what? When we begin to look to the world and say, you know what? I like this artist out there. I like this person out there. And all of a sudden, our iPod is filled with all kinds of nonsense and all kinds of junk and all kinds of stuff that has parental advisory all over it. Parents, you need to look at what your kids are listening to, by the way. If it has parental advisory, I advise you as a parent, confiscate it and get it out of your home. But you know what? You need to look at that and say, what's feeding our spirits? What's going into our mind and our heart? Does it promote spiritual growth or does it promote the, the common philosophy of the age is I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm gonna, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Listen, folks, for the attitude that says nobody's going to tell me what to do, you need to understand one thing. There is a revelation 20, 21, and 22 that is going to happen one day and somebody is going to tell you exactly what to do. Don't think for a minute that you can escape the judgment of God and the hand of God, we might as well start now learning how to submit to the Word of God and those who are over us in the Lord. That was free. How do we learn the truth of Christianity? Feed your spirit those things that promote spiritual growth. You know, read books that have to do with the Lord. You say, I like novels. You know what, believe it or not, there's some great Christian novels. My wife sits down with some of these books. She, she devours them in like three hours, two or three hours. It would take me two or three weeks to get through it of constant reading. That's, that's the difference between her and I with our, our reading abilities and capabilities. And, and, but you know what, it's something that is, feeds the spirit and feeds and promotes growth. Whatever it is that you might be looking at or reading at or, or, or getting into your heart and your mind, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. We've got to go for the Lord rather than going for our flesh. Your flesh says, this is what you want to do. Go ahead and do it. The world says, this is what you feel like doing. Go ahead and do it. God says, this is my way. Follow me and you will never be disappointed. How else do we do it? Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. But also he says this, and I'm taking way longer than I should right now. But he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. The importance of prayer in each of our lives is like the importance of air to our lungs. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I've been able to take another breath. We have air to be able to breathe. Now, we live in the city, so the air is not quite as clean as, you know, maybe out in the countryside. But thank God we have air to breathe. Prayer is as important to your spiritual existence and your spiritual growth as air is to your lungs, as food is to your body, as water is to your body. Prayer is the absolute life of everything that you are in him, will be in him, will do in him. It is everything to you. And if you abandon it, then I, I dare say that the enemy will not be far behind to be able to get in, somehow weasel his way in, and begin to wreak havoc in your life. If you've got trouble in your life today, if you've got problems in your life today, can I encourage you? It's not going to be solved by you taking matters into your own hands. It's going to be solved by getting on your face before God and saying, God, I've got to have an answer. I'm going to stay here until I have an answer from you. Pray and seek after God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And when you don't know how to pray, let the Spirit of God pray through you. 
Keep yourselves, the Bible says, in God's love. God's love doesn't go anywhere, but we do. We have to be vitally, we have to be very, very careful because it is vitally important for us to keep ourselves in God's love. We somehow think that when we are dealing with difficulties in our lives, that somehow God doesn't quite love us the way that he used to when we didn't have problems. And that is one of the fallacies. That is one of the falsehoods and the lies of the enemy to get you to abandon your faith. It is one of the lies of the devil to get you to think that somehow God has moved. Folks, God didn't change his address. He's still hanging around. He's still there to help you and to strengthen you and to minister to you no matter what it is that you're going through. The Bible says, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, what am I doing to, to come to him and to say and to profess, Lord, I love you. I'm, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give my best to you. I'm going to give my all to you. He says, keep yourselves there. You might think today, maybe it is, you might think that somehow God has withdrawn his love for you. Maybe you're going through a dark moment in your life, a moment where nobody can really comprehend what you're dealing with and understand it. Maybe you don't even know. Maybe, maybe it is that throughout all of the, the difficulties that you have right now, that somehow in all of that, you just can't seem to get your head above water. And maybe it is that you begin to, you've begun to point your finger at God and say, now, God, you, you got me into this trouble. No, no, no. The Bible says that his love endures forever. God has not withdrawn. God has not abandoned. God has not forsaken you. God has not bailed out on you. It could be that you have eliminated that which promotes spiritual growth in your life to the point where it's all about you now rather than about him. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's there, but we've got to avail ourselves of that wonderful and powerful attribute of God. That is his love. Keep yourselves in God's love. Now, what else do we need to be doing? Not only growing, but as a believer, we need to be reaching. Look at verses 22 and 23. We got to be reaching. Verses 22 and 23, the Bible says this, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. I've got to be reaching for those who are lost. No matter what the situation is, brothers and sisters, on a daily basis, we have to remind ourselves that people around us are without Christ and they're lost. That no matter what neighborhood you live in, no matter what apartment building, what house you live in, what, 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 wherever it is that you go to work, that the people around you are lost. And you know what? They're going to act like lost people. I'm amazed. You know, through the years, I, I don't get so upset about when lost people act like lost people around me. And especially if they don't know that I'm a believer, 
I don't get all bent out of shape. Because when you are under the control of the enemy, when you're under control of the devil, you're going to act like the devil. You're going to act that way. I'll look at it and say, oh, terrible thing. I don't because simply because they are lost. What is my role as a believer? It's not to sit there and somehow create such a vacuum in the room with my gasp. My role as a believer is to be reaching. It's to be ministering. It's to be giving the hand of Christ to somebody who is acting like the world. Because they're in the world, they're of the world. It's not my job to sit there and think, God, not to be doing that. Not my job. My job is to exalt the living, loving Savior who is alive today to minister to those who are hurting and those who the Bible says here are doubters. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 22. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. How many of you have ever, you know, you've encountered somebody who was just a doubter and you just got so annoyed with all their doubt? You just, ugh. how can they, you know, especially if it's somebody who's been in the church and they've, they, you know, maybe they're a believer. Maybe there's somebody who's professing Christianity and yet somehow it just seems like they doubt more than they have faith. That somewhere along the way, it just, they can't get past all the questions. They got more questions than answers. And it just, you know, it drives you a little insane, right? You know what the Bible says we got to do with doubters, whether believers or unbelievers? He doesn't make a distinction. We have to reach out to them. The Bible says be merciful. In other words, don't come off as if somehow they haven't arrived, you have, so they need to come up to where you are. No, 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 no. It is be merciful. To those who doubt. Remember how Jesus dealt with Thomas, who doubted? He didn't, he didn't say, you know what, Thomas? I didn't knock you one. You know, what's the matter with you? You doubt, you doubt that I'm the, I'm the resurrected Christ. I'm standing right here in front of you, Thomas. Look at me. Well, that's exactly what he did. He said, look at me. Look at my hands. He said, put your hand in my side. He didn't say, no, Thomas, you're not going to touch me. You doubt me. Look at everybody else. They're believing in me. You're not. What's the matter with you? He didn't, he didn't deal with Thomas that way. He just said, come here, Thomas. Go ahead. Touch the scars in my hands. Put your hand on my side where they thrust the spear. Feel the scar that's there in my side. Now, Thomas learned this lesson. And he said in that moment that those who believe and yet have not seen are going to be incredibly blessed. Brothers and sisters, we need to be merciful to those who doubt. The Bible also tells us this, that we need to be reaching not only for the doubters, but we need to be reaching for the reckless. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, snatch others from the fire and save them. The picture is of a person slipping into eternal fire, but rescued from error by the grace and the truth of God. The Bible indicates that they need to be dealt with in a direct and vigorous way. That somewhere along the way, there is tough love that is to be implemented. And those of you who are parents, you know a little bit about tough love, don't you? And on occasion, you've had to administer it. 
But the Bible says here that we've got to be reaching out for the reckless. We think that the reckless are just, they're on their way to hell and nobody can stop them. There isn't anything that can be done. i got to say today that is absolutely false. If we believe that as a church, then we need to close our doors. There are those out on the streets that are reckless. They are on their way to hell. And you know what? For many of them, they're loving it as they're going. But i got to tell you that we can snatch them as it were from the fire when we have the anointing of the Spirit within us, when we allow God to use us in a way that will challenge them and make them see that the grace of God is greater than the sin that they're involved in. So the Bible says that we've got to be reaching out to the reckless, to those, the Bible says, snatch others from the fire and save them. And save them. And then it goes on, we've got to reach out to the sinful The Bible says in Jude 23 also it says, Others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. This final group seems to be those who are in deep immorality. And the idea here is not that we accept the idea of their immorality. That we we just sort of go along with it. No, no, no. There's other parts of the New Testament we could talk about to deal with that. That's not the point of this. But you get the picture from, you almost get the picture from this, this part of this verse that if not for the keeping power of the grace of God, we could say that would be us. For many of you today, if it were not for Jesus Christ, I wonder, you've got to wonder where would you be? Where would I be today if it were not for the power of the grace of the cross of Christ? Where would I be today? What would I be doing? I have no idea. God only knows what would be happening to us. But thank God that he led us into salvation and that today we are free from sin and free from sinful ways. But we've got to be reaching to those who are sinful. The immorality is simply a cover for the emptiness of their soul. The the things that they are going through, the things that they are trying to fulfill, the longing their hearts with, it doesn't fulfill it. That's why they got to keep going back to it. And each time they go back, they realize it doesn't fill the emptiness that is there. The Bible then directs us to show mercy because this is the only thing that can rescue them from their sin. Brothers and sisters, it's not going to be the guy standing on the street corner with the sign that says, you know, you're all going to hell. It's not going to be the guy on the street corner with the bullhorn, you know, constantly proclaiming the judgment of God. And listen, I believe that we need to proclaim the judgment of God, but not without the love and the mercy and the grace of God. You see, I believe that you can't fully understand his love and his mercy without the judgment, but judgment without mercy, where does that leave anybody? Nowhere. So we've got to proclaim the whole gospel, the full counsel of God, everything that the Bible lets us know about the way of salvation that he died on the cross for our sins. Yes, we got to talk about sin a little bit, but then we've got to talk about the immense and and wonderful love of God that brings deliverance from sin. There is one final motivation that we need to be working on in our lives, and that is worshiping. Worshiping. Look at verses 24 and 25. The Bible says this, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God of our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. 
John chapter 4 and verse 24. You don't need to turn there, but just listen. It says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship in spirit and in truth is worship that is done with the knowledge of who we are worshiping. When we come into the presence of the Lord in each and every Sunday, we start with praise and worship. And we do that so that we can unload our minds from all the junk of the week and focus on somebody who is bigger than all the junk, who's bigger than all the trouble, bigger than all of our problems and difficulties. And we praise and worship. We take time to do that so that it helps us to see God for who he really is. And brothers and sisters, it is vital that when we worship, we're not just engaging our mouths in an exercise that is religious. And what I mean by that is this. It's easy for us to come in sometimes and sing a song we have sung many, many times. It's easy for us if we are part of the culture and have been for a long time that says, well, we'll raise our hands and praise the Lord. We'll open our mouths and glorify the Lord. And things begin to come out of our mouths and we just begin to say things, but without ever engaging our hearts and our minds. Worship, brothers and sisters, is more than just going through a bunch of motions. Look, there are churches all over the city today who are literally, there are people climbing the walls and swinging from the chandeliers and who are going to walk out absolutely the same as what they came in. Whatever is going on, there is a lot of outward activity, but nothing that is happening in the heart. That's why Jesus said, that they must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. He is able. Now, we've got to have, in order for us to do that, we've got to have a knowledge of what he is able to do. So what's he able to do? Well, the Bible says in verse 24, it says he is able to keep you from falling. I got to tell you, I am and you are as human as they come, right? We, we fail, we give into the flesh, we sin, we do numbers of things that don't glorify the Lord. But I got to tell you, we've got to focus not on our weakness, but upon his strength. We've got to begin to think about what God is able to do. So many Christian lives, 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 Christians live their lives in a manner that says they're full of the fear of failure. I don't want to fail. Well, you know what? You do. We all do. From time to time, we all fail. We all give in. And yet, what does this say? This says that he's able to keep her from falling. You see, it seems to indicate that he is able to keep you, yes, from failing and giving into the same thing over and over again. But the idea of falling here is that falling where you don't get back up. That falling that indicates that you begin to be allow yourself to be destroyed beyond repair. And i got to tell you, nobody is outside of the grace of God. God is able to reach each and every individual wherever they might go. But the Bible says you don't even have to fall. You don't even have to. I think I preached a sermon uh, uh, some time ago on this passage of Scripture, this one verse of Scripture. He's able to keep it from falling. Listen, you don't have to give in to sin. You don't have to fall. He is able to keep you. And because of that fact, brother,
brothers and sisters, when we come into the house of the Lord, we need to praise Him all the louder, all the more. We need to glorify the name of the Lord and be grateful for all that He has done and all that He is able to do. The Bible says this, He is able to present you before His glorious presence without fault. How many of you realize you got faults today? Come on, raise your hand. Amen. We all have faults. But I got to tell you, this is an achievement that is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is able to present you without fault in His glorious presence. The blood of Jesus, if it were not for the blood of Jesus, this could not happen. We only come into this position through the blood of Christ. God is not going to present faultless those who have not come through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Not going to happen. But it is only through Jesus Christ. We could look in the mirror and say, I've got all kinds of faults, but the blood of Jesus wipes us clean washes us anew and presents us in a state that says, I'm going to look at you as though you had never, ever sinned. What an amazing, amazing position to have. Not only do we have to have the knowledge to really be a true worshiper of him, the knowledge of what he's able to do, but we've got to have a knowledge of who he is. And this is where worship becomes so deep and so wonderful. Not so deep that nobody can figure it out. Now, I'm not talking that kind of deep. If you're getting into some deep things that, you know, you get confused about, you know what, just run. The Bible's not, you know, God didn't make it that complicated, folks. He really didn't. But we've got to have the knowledge of his nature. Well, who is he? He is the only God, our Savior. It's what the Bible says, verse 25, to the only God, our Savior. That is, there is one God, not two, not three, not a bunch of them. There is only one God, and he is our Savior. Brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, it's not going to be, you know, the, the Buddhist gods, the Hindu gods. Please, the Hindu gods, there are millions and millions of them. And Jesus, believe it or not, is one of them. It's all, it's anything, any, anything. It's not going to be that, but it is the God who has been revealed in the Word of God. This God that we read about in Scripture, He is the only God. So we've got to worship Him as one God. Not only that, He is the God of glory, majesty, power, and authority. In other words, He is supreme over all creation. Look, folks, when we open our mouths to worship the Lord and glorify Him, you're not worshiping just because somebody tells you in the microphone it's time to do that. We're worshiping the God who is over everything. He is the supreme God over all. He's worthy of your worship. Not only that, He is the God who made a way out of sin. He is a God who made a way out of sin, namely, through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in this, we find Him to be our provider. We find Him to be our healer. We find Him to be the God who is there. 
We find him to be God, our righteousness. In essence, we find him to be the God who is all we need. Somebody selling you a bill of goods that says you got to have a little bit of this water because it came out of the Jordan, or you got to have this handkerchief. I don't think so. He is our healer. He is all we need. He is everything, brothers and sisters. He is all we need. And I got to tell you, if that isn't, there isn't anything that motivates you to worship like that, then I'm not sure what will. Then maybe you just need to get saved today. That might be the bottom line. Because, brothers and sisters, this is the powerful God that we serve and that we worship. He is our righteousness. He is our King. He is our Savior. He is our provider. He is the one who has given everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And in the end, is not He worthy of worship because of that? I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, as believers, we got to be growing, we got to be reaching, but we got to be worshiping. And I'm not talking about when we just come into the building, but I'm talking about throughout your daily life that we've got to be worshiping, that we've got to be glorifying the Lord. With, uh, let's stand to our feet right now. I'm going to close with this. I think I mentioned this brother before. Pastor friend of mine back in Rhode Island. A number of years ago, I remember being around him for a while, sort of outside of the, the confines of, you know, the church and the pulpit I was involved in. I was the worship leader in his church, and he was the pastor. And, and I remember being around him for a while, just outside of that area. And he and I would be having a conversation, talking about anything. I mean, he, he's, he's an intelligent guy. He not only knows about you know, the Scripture, the Word, and, and, and all that is there, but, I mean, this guy's he reads, he's, he, he just, he's, he's got it there. He, he knows. We were talking about something unrelated to the Bible, unrelated to Scripture. And right in the middle of it, I just, all of a sudden, Pastor Doug just, hallelujah. Pray. I'm sitting right here. We're in the car having a conversation about who knows what. Not the Bible, but he, hallelujah. Just under his breath, I heard him. He knew I heard him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He starts speaking in tongues. He says, oh, thank God. And then he just continued with the conversation. And I thought, man, that's strange. And then after a while, I realized that's not so strange. Because the Bible lets us know that's how we ought to live our lives. We ought to live our lives praising the Lord and worshiping him. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Only on Sundays? God, help us if it's only on Sundays. Begin to worship the Lord in your home. Worship the Lord on your job. Worship the Lord in your car, in the, on the train. I, look, there are folks talking to themselves all the time on the train. Just join in, just, but talk to God. You're not going to be out of place. Not at all. Worship the Lord and magnify Him. Can we do that right now? Can we just magnify the Lord for a moment and let's just worship Him and let's praise Him right now. Let's be the worshipers that He truly seeks. They that worship Him in spirit and in truth. Lord, we magnify Your name.